Welcome to Sophos Security Chat Chat, episode 123 for November the 13th, 2013. I'm Chester Wisniewski with my guest, Paul Ducklin. Welcome back. Hello, Chester. Chester in Vancouver for once in his life. I am. It's very good to be home uh, in Vancouver, although uh, next week for the Chat Chat, uh, I will be on the road again in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia. There's a song about that, Chester. There's a song about many, many places in the world. Oh, no, I mean, there's a song about being on the road again, as well as a song about Atlanta, Georgia, of course. You know what there's not a song about? Patch Patch Tuesday, which happens to be today. Don't start. Someone's going to come up with one. And then it's a sort of be careful of what you wish for thing, isn't it? Yeah, I I consider this kind of a bit of a moderate Patch Tuesday, fortunately. Uh, Microsoft released their updates, um, three critical, five important you know, that's the standard kind of mix. I mean, under the critical side, there's a, a roll-up fix for Internet Explorer, which clearly you're going to want to get out there to all your desktops uh, that, that do, you know, day-to-day web surfing. I think it fixes 10 vulnerabilities in IE. But beyond that, uh, you know, kind of your everyday mix, right? There's some uh, document processing vulnerabilities. Uh, there's a, a flaw in the Microsoft GDI or graphics rendering component of Windows. Interesting, though, was the uh, some flaws in, in uh, rendering Microsoft Write and uh, Corel WordPerfect files. Yes. Uh, when I heard that, I thought, well, who would use WordPerfect files? And of course, then the penny dropped with me. It doesn't matter. When you open the file, you don't know it's a WordPerfect file. It just comes as if it were a document. And normally when you open such a file, it gets converted. And when you save it later, it'll be in some Microsoft Word specific format. So you'd never be aware. Uh, But I guess because that code doesn't get used that much, it probably doesn't get tested and verified that much either. So in a way, it's sort of somewhere that hackers might like to look. Well, this reminds me a bit of last week when we talked about the TIFF zero-day vulnerability, which I guess it's it's important to point out is not fixed in this week's patch. You know, TIFF, whether it's a commonly used file format in 2013, is kind of irrelevant in that many graphics processing applications, browsers, documents, uh, etc., support TIFF whether you're using it or not, right? It's part of the standard Windows set of libraries of going, yeah, render images for me, Windows, whatever that image might be, whether it's PNG or JPEG or TIFF or whatever it is. And that legacy code isn't always tested all that well. I, I mean, to me, this is just another reminder of another situation where backward compatibility may be coming to bite Microsoft. Um, you know, they're they're desperately trying to kill off the 13-year-old Windows XP. They're trying to convince people that IE6 isn't good enough. The thing that's made Windows strong, the idea that, uh, you know, it carries forward arguably perpetually with applications and compatibility from a security standpoint often is a, is a big negative and that having all that backward compatibility means lots and lots of code to find flaws in. Chester, just on the, on the idea of things that you don't need, one slight difference this month to many Patch Tuesdays is that this time server core installations, which are of course the stripped down version of Windows, those are affected. So I don't want to discourage anybody from using server core if they can. To use the uh, hoopy term, it minimizes your attack surface area. But if you're relying on server core, having been kind of untouched by Patch Tuesday for the last few months, this month you will have to reboot even your DHCP server. 
you know, a lot of this is all these fixes and patches and websites being hacked. A lot of it's leading to a bit of hacker phobia, if you will. I've talked to a lot of journalists who are, you know, what is the deal? Why, why are our systems suddenly so vulnerable? I mean, all these attackers stealing all these credit cards and all these websites being compromised. And is some of this a, a bit of a, an overreaction? Well, Chester, everybody asked the same thing during the heyday of LulzSec a couple of years ago, didn't they? But I think it's just that that kind of story is somehow more newsworthy than cases where people don't get breached. And of course, just recently, we've had this problem with the Adobe breach, which started at 3 million users, which caused me to draw breath, and then jumped up to 38 million users, which caused my eyes to pop open, and ended up with, a, with leaked data with 150 million usernames, passwords, and password hints in it. In this case, recently, we may have a, a cumulative number of breaches that is actually dominated by the fact that there was that one giant one. Well, and there's also been news about Anonymous attacking uh, the, the Singapore government uh, for for allegedly censorship reasons. And, you know, you know, one of these uh, we do not forgive, we do not forget moments. But it turns out somebody was apprehended in this case, right? So it's not like every time uh, one of these uh, breaches happens that it's always truly some actually anonymous person uh, many times they're identified what what what's up with this chap ah this is the guy who styled himself the messiah and said you know we don't like what's happening in singapore so uh, you know do what we say or else a, a journalist in singapore who writes for the straits times used a metaphor in her article where she just used the word singapore to talk about the singapore public service or the singapore government and uh, he took exception to this. I'm not against Singapore, I'm against the government. And to prove that he only meant to attack the government, uh, he attacked her blog uh, uh, and said, you know, you better resign because it's really naughty that you were dared to use a metaphor. And then he went and attacked a, a load of other sites like a town council site. In a way, it could be said to distract attention for the fact that a lot of hacks of this sort won't be immediately obvious. And without data breach notification laws, we might never hear about them because there's no outward visible sign like there is when uh, anonymous decide to visibly, purposefully deface a site. When you pick a target as large as a nation state's government, you can simply scan through the 40,000 different websites associated with it, find two or three of them that have lax security. And, you know, get in and, and do a defacement, which is exactly the type of tactic that we saw during the LulzSec attacks. If it was the city of Vancouver's website that had a, a, a message posted on it, graffitied on it, if you will, I'm not sure I'd care. Whereas if the city of Vancouver's taxation system was hacked and my records were stolen, I would. So the types of things we hear about through data breach notification often are far, far more important than these uh, alleged hacktivist messages that just get posted on a website. I'd like to change topics a little bit to an, another vuln uh, about an open SSH. It sounds like uh, even some of the world's smartest security software developers can make mistakes, right? Yes, the great thing is that they spotted it themselves uh, on the 7th of November, and the patch and a description of what was patched and why was out on the 8th of November. So a very prompt reaction, a fairly esoteric bug. 
I found it interesting because it sort of shows that sometimes you can have too much encryption. When you initialize a connection in OpenSSH, there's a part that initializes the encryption function that delivers the secrecy, and there's a part that initializes the authentication function, which uh, maintains the message integrity. So what would happen is you get these, you get the encryption, the authentication components initialized. When you need to stop using the cipher or it needs to rekey, then some cleanup code would be called for those two components and they'd all be reinitialized. Except that there are some modern ciphers like AES GCM, which actually combine encryption and authentication, meaning that the open SSH code strictly didn't need the authentication part but they carried on using it and calling its cleanup functions with uninitialized data off the heap. And technically, that means you could get a remote code execution. You're basically dereferencing or calling through a function pointer which contains secondhand data from before. I'm not convinced that anyone could have found a working exploit, but the OpenSSH guys were very open about this and they adjusted the code to make sure that where they're allocating memory that they might not use, they make sure that they always initialize it at that point. And if you're a programmer, a C programmer, the bottom line is, unless you have a very good reason to do so, don't use malloc, which just allocates memory, use calloc, which allocates and clears the memory. And that has fixed this particular flaw. So while we're speaking of encryption, uh, encryption, as Adobe has found out, is not always the answer to all your problems. You know, the, the breach is significantly larger than we originally expected, but I don't think people can get their head around the idea that encrypting passwords can be a bad thing. When you and I talk about passwords, we almost always talk about hashing. And, and to many people, you know, the concept of hashing and encrypting and all this stuff just means mathematical gibberish that scrambles stuff and they don't really differentiate between them. But in this case, it's really important, isn't it? Yes, what Adobe did, as far as we can tell, is that they took this giant password database and they encrypted everybody's password with an encryption function, a block cipher, so encrypting eight bytes at a time, so we're guessing it's probably DES or triple DES, using exactly the same key with no initialization vector, which is the equivalent of a salt in the hashing world, for every single person. So there are two problems with that. Firstly, it's like having unsalted hashes. If two people have the same password, they have the same data in the password database. And the other problem is that, unlike hashes, if that master key ever leaks, and for all we know, the crooks could have got it at the same time because Adobe had to have it stored somewhere where their software could use it. If that password is revealed, it actually decrypts every single password in that database of 150 million all in one go. So that was a pretty strange blunder to make, given that hashing, which is where you put each password through a one-way function, uh, is a much better way to do it. It gives you the secrecy from exposing the password, but it also means that because it's a one-way function, you can only hash forwards, nobody at Adobe or who steals that database can find a master key that will let them go backwards. They can only approach the problem from the other angle, try every possible password, and see if the hash turns up. There's no way to go backwards. 
and that's why hashing is recommended as a vehicle for processing and storing passwords because of that one-way forwards-only nature. Well, additionally, I'd heard that uh, the password hints were um, in plain text as well, and many of them were things like rhymes with asword. So, you know, I guess if you happen to have chosen uh, a moderately secure password, but others chose the same one and, and chose a hint that indicated precisely what their password was, your password is now known as well because your your encrypted version of your password will match theirs and you could just collectively grab all the plain text hints for all the matching encrypted passwords and find the one that most accurately describes that password and, and break it right absolutely and that is one place where adobe could at least have used this one size fits all encryption to shroud the password hints that would have at least made the database a little less useful so yes Ad adobe made this huge blunder they encrypted the passwords instead of hashing them. They used one key for everything. They didn't use an initialization vector for each password. They used what's called electronic codebook mode, which means that every time somebody has the password password, those eight bytes come out as exactly the same eight bytes in the output text. And as you pointed out, they had all these password hints that they didn't bother to encrypt, even though you would have thought they might have done so. Let's hope that if those master passwords for decrypting the data that was stolen ever do get recovered, it's late enough that the risk is mitigated by the fact that passwords would have been expired or changed, credit card numbers would have been reissued, and so forth. Well, I think that uh, wraps up the news for this week. I'm going to... Uh conclude soft security chat chat 123 as always for the latest security news visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com uh, our podcasts are now on soundcloud.com slash security and you can find our rss there and some uh, some nice playlists of technos and chat chats and other things and until next week stay secure <laughs>